And um, yeah, yeah. And here we go. Okay, okay, this is Barcrawl Radio, and you've just been listening to a little cut from Earl's World. Uh, it comes from Paperman album, um, composed by Charles Tolliver. And Charles Tolliver is with us here at Gephardt's right now, and we're going to be talking with him about his, uh, his long and wonderful career. And uh, Charles is sitting here and looking at our equipment, and uh, he certainly can put on our headset. But first, Becky and I are going to have a little conversation. And hey, Beck, how you doing? Hi, hello. Yeah, isn't that Earl's World great? It's my favorite of the... Yeah, the trumpet is so clean and crisp. Yeah, and we've got the man here. I know, I know, I know, but we have some things to talk about first. Yeah, you know what? I wanted to talk to you about something. Did you realize I was on the... I was watching television... Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't believe what I saw. You, do you remember the guy? Um, he used to uh, do uh, The Apprentice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. he was like, he has his name up on buildings, but he doesn't own any buildings. No, right, right. Just the name. People kept calling him President Trump. Fake news. And I was news. going like, what's going on? Fake news. I mean, I, that that's couldn't be possible. No, he's not the president. So the guy is president, yeah. No. No. No, he's, no, he's not. not. He's not. He's it's not. fake news. Wow. Well. It's, like, it's, it's crazy. You know, what, you know they have the pictures of him, like he's in the White House. It's all, you know, it's like he's, <laughs> they show him making, you know, reports to the press, and and it's yeah. it's and crazy, crazy town. And 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 the announcers keep calling, saying President. Trump. I know, I know. It's like saying President Donald Duck. Exactly. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. No. All right, so I, I wanted to talk about something that's going on under the great leader's leadership. Um, and that's um, people are kicking President Trump or President Donald Duck's uh, people out of restaurants. Did His, you hear about this? Yeah, that, yeah. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders was kicked out of Red Hen, right? Which is a um, it's a restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, uh-huh. right? Um, and they actually kicked her out. They asked the uh, employees there. They said, "Is it okay if we kick her out?" And they said, "Yeah, kick her out." Oh, oh. And she's oh. she's the spokesman for the. They the, asked the great who leader. if it was okay. They asked the people who worked at the Red Hen. Oh, I you see. You know, the chefs and the, the cooks and the, so the, the but the, but, but the wait staff wanted, were the ones They who were wanted. okay with it. They were okay. Kick her, kick her out. Kick Sarah Huckabee Sanders out, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. Um, and, and so the, the, the uh, great leader eventually uh, supported her, um, you know, her, his, 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 his uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, and, um, well, he, he would. He said this. This is what he said in a tweet. He said, the Red Hen restaurant should focus more on cleaning its filthy canopies, doors, and windows badly needs a paint job rather than refusing to serve a fine person like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I always had a rule, if a restaurant's dirty on the outside, it's dirty on the inside. Signed, the POTUS, President of the United States. Right, 
Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out, I, I went and looked up the Red Hen. It's a really prestigious restaurant. In, Is it? In, I mean, that's why Sanders wants to go there. It's one of the 100 best Washington restaurants of 2016. Um, Washington it, Post it, Review. Yeah it's, yeah. it's popular. It's loud and expensive. The pasta dishes run any, you know, up to $29 for a dish of pasta. But you can get something for 18 That's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it's a neighborhood restaurant designed for people looking for a little jazz in their food. So since we're talking jazz, I thought I'd, I'd add that. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, let me just share something with you, Al. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, or Duck, whatever. Donald Duck Trump, his, yes. His... A D.C. international hotel was inspected in April. Yeah? Yeah. And what did they find? Well, he has 10 health code violations, including raw meat stored above ready-to-eat foods, containers of flour stored next to a hand sink that lacked a splash guard. We're talking salmonella and maybe a little bit of uh, tuberculosis. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe he shouldn't be um, downplaying the red hen. No, talk no. About, they were operating, operating kitchens without city permits to do so. Or you know what they say, Alan? If you live in a glass house, don't throw rocks. Or don't throw up either. <laughs> <laughs> no. you, you know, the question, though, is, and this, this is why I brought this up, is, is it all right to kick out a, uh, um, a government official because you disagree a with politician. them? A politician. A politician. Uh, so is, 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 you know, throwing out Sanders, also the Homeland Security Secretary, Kirsten Nielsen, yeah. She was shamed. People went up to her and said, shame, shame on you for, oh, for she, and she separating was, families at the border. Right, right, right. But wait, but she didn't get kicked out of any She place. wasn't kicked out. She was just shamed. People from the, the, like they were eating there, wherever she was eating. Or they knew they were there and then they kind yeah. of got together. And, and they, uh, My question is, is that okay? I mean, you what know, do you think? I don't know. I mean, if I owned a restaurant, I don't know about politicians. I don't know if that would bother me so much. But if uh, Bernie Madoff, you know, just this pretend like he was paroled or something, and he comes strolling into my restaurant, I would not want to serve him. I mean, honestly, I would not want to. Yeah. But would you, would you kick him out? Would, would you kick <coughs> him out? Or, or would you just go up to him and say, Mr. Sanders, I think you're, I mean, I, I think you're a really terrible person, <laughs> you know, and just give, give, give your opinion on it? Yeah. I'm, I think that, um, I don't know if I would or not, but I, I, I tend to think that it that it's not uh, polite okay, to I, kick I someone out because of their beliefs. Or, yeah. you know, and let's say he was proled and he served his time. You know, so I would think that it would, it's not yeah. appropriate. But what if, what if Mike Pence were to walk here into Gephardt's? I'm telling you, I keep telling you, Pence doesn't bother me. It's Sessions. Sessions. All right, Sessions walks in here. Well, we got to ask, uh, we gotta ask All know, right, but Mr. I asked, Matt. I asked Avi, Mr. Gephardt. I asked Avi Gittler. Yeah. Uh, who is an owner of an art gallery up on the uh, way up on the upper in Hamilton Heights? Oh, an expert on the subject. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he, he owns his uh, business, and I he said, does what, own a business. what if right. what if Mike Pence were to come into your, uh, uh, you know, what would you do if he came in? You know, it's 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 funny. I I really I'm I consider myself a I have strong opinions, but I consider myself a fairly apolitical person, and some of your listeners may not like this, but. I do actually think that the the restaurateur who kicked out uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, was in the wrong. Um, you know, I think it's you know it's such divisive times. Um, I, I, I think I think we need to try to be more civil. Uh, and I I know that there are people who have strong opinions uh, that differ with mine, but you know I, I I don't think that's the way of going about things. So. 
I've thought about that scenario, like, well, if Donald Trump came into my gallery, how would I, I react? Uh, I wasn't a fan of his before he became a president, you know. Um, but I, I will say this. I, I have a, a, a relative who lives on the Upper West Side who hosted a fundraiser for Mike Pence. So I wouldn't have mentioned that if not for the fact that this is Upper West Side neighbor radio. Uh, I wasn't terribly thrilled about that when that happened, but... Um, how about this? If Mike Pence comes to my gallery, yeah. come back and interview me then. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. All right. I'm inviting him over. So there, there, there you go. So that's Avi Gidler. He is a, um, he's an art gallery owner. Uh, I interviewed him for uh, Upper West Side um, Neighbors. Right. I know. Yeah. Uh, so if well, you, I agree with him. If you go to I Upper agree. West Side Radio, you can hear that, that Upper West Side Neighbors. To maintain his civility. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, um, so we don't kick him out, but we go up and we yell in their yeah, face. Yeah, I don't mind the shaming part. I don't mind that, you know. She's in the public. She's yep. in the public eye. Time to remind you that we are Bar Crawl Radio. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Does it sound like I'm begging? And now, <laughs> streaming on Upper West Side Radio every okay, night at begging. 9 p.m. I know. Give yourself a break from all that wonderful television while you're waiting for uh, Game of Thrones to come back on, and tune into the BCR podcast on UpperWestSideRadio.com. That's all one word, UpperWestSideRadio.com. Okay, it was a very sunny, hot day, June 30th, Brooklyn Bridge. I and about 10,000 other angry New Yorkers we're marching to protest the great leaders, President Donald Duck's decision to break up families, children from their parents. We were really, really angry on that march on June 30th. Passing cars beep their horns in agreement or derision. Really difficult to say what a horn is saying. And as I marched and sweated and my back ached, we had to walk quite slowly. There was a lot of people. I kept asking myself, do protest marchers really do anything? I mean, what's changed after the two women and the gun law and the separating families marches? It seems those in power just went on being in power, nominating whomever they wanted to nominate. No consequences. Following up on their hate-filled decisions and rhetoric, is there any point in protesting today? That's my question. I think there is. Yeah? Yes, I do. But nothing happens. But no, but more women have... Um you know, become politicized and are running for uh, candidacy in different um, districts throughout the country. I mean, a record number of women. Um, people, you know, just have become more, I think, involved and are resisting. That's part of the resistance. I've seen it work in the past. You know, we're from the 60s, honey. We're from the, we're from the protests of... of Vietnam, um, we're, we're, we're of the Watergate children. We're, we're not, we're, I saw it work then, and I've seen it work. Oh, with the women's, the whole thing of Roy v. Wade, everything had to do with people stepping up the, the freedom marches, you know? Yeah. I think things do change when people get out and protest peacefully and voice their opinion. Yeah, I think certain marches do. The Vietnam marches on uh, peace marches back when I was a kid. Look, he never, never should have separated the families from the illegal people, illegal, illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants. He should have never done that. But he stopped. 
He stopped after all the protests. Okay, you know, I, 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 I am really frustrated by the whole thing. I went on the march because it's like I want to do something and I don't know what else to do, so I go on a march and I'm hot and I'm tired and I'm with a lot of other people who, who believe what I believe, but I don't think the Pences and the Donald Ducks and the, you know, I don't want to insult Donald Duck, uh, so I won't do that anymore. Um, I, don't, I don't think it, it's going to affect them at all. Those that believe will believe, those that don't, that don't. But I want to play a soundbite from Barbara Zweig, my sister. This is what she says. Um, okay. Voting and um, having a free press and uh, having, um, uh, uh, you know, open elections and, you know, all of that. And I, I think it's important for people to express how they feel. It's part of being an, in a democracy. I mean, you know, it's really kind of funny because I think that the administration, this administration, it feels very free to say all the things they want to say in all of, you know, in all of the, um, in Fox News and in all of the rallies that he can, that our president continues to have. And I think we have a right to do it as well. We have a right to say, and it's very important that we say how we're feeling. It's a way you see crowds getting, you see crowds of people protesting and expressing themselves. And it, it might get those people who are more apathetic and who don't want to vote or don't think it's important or don't think that their, you know, their voice is heard, that it'll, it'll give them information and it'll, it'll inspire them to, to vote, you know, to get out there and get involved. It's, it, I guess it's more like getting involved and uh, voting is one way of getting involved. And and uh, and and expressing yourself through marches and through writing letters and keeping in touch with you know and telling your Congress people what you feel those are all important they're important and they make an impact I think I think they make an impact. Okay, that's my sister Barbara Zweig. Um, we haven't introduced him yet, um, but Mr. Charles Tolliver has his opinion on this. Maybe you know when we introduce you, we can come back come around back to this and talk about this idea of marching and whether protests really do any good. Um, so we're going we're gonna to continue, and then we'll talk more politics with Charles Tolliver in just a few minutes. And we are Bar Crawl Radio, residing at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, across the street from the mortuary, down the block from Trader Vic's, I call it Trader Vic's, not Trader Joe's, just get used to it. Today, we'll be talking with jazz trumpet great Charles Tolliver. He's celebrating the 50th anniversary of his Paperman album on August 24th at the Charlie Parker Jazz Festival. And we'll be right back. That was a cut of Earl's World from Paperman, 
an album being celebrated for its 50th anniversary on the American jazz charts, featuring Gary Bartz, alto sax, Herbie Hancock, piano, Ron Carter, bass, and Joe Chambers, drums. Paper Man is led by trumpet player and composer Charles Tolliver. Alan and I have known Charles for several years, had him over for dinner, and he, we've, we've been regaled by his music in both big band and quartet formats at major jazz clubs in Manhattan. And his sound is huge and experimental. Uh, we're not jazz experts by any means, but the sound tastes he gives out in his playing and compositions are varied, jaw-dropping, filled with energy, emotion, and angst. Tolliver's Paperman album, it's going into its 50th anniversary, is being celebrated at Summer Stage in Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem on August 24th. We'll be out there. Hopefully you will be too. We'll say more about that later in the podcast. It's our great pleasure and honor to have Mr. Charles Tolliver on Bar Crawl Radio. We're getting jazzed up here. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, I think we're right. jazzing you up there. Yeah. So what what, what, you, you, uh, you had something to say about what we were just talking about. Well, normally I... I don't uh, get into politics because they, they always like to ascribe uh, uh, politics to the music, too, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, as I listen to you, I recalled as a, a child um, two of the, uh, at the time, Democratic uh, Party members who were going to flip over and become Republicans, uh, Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond. And uh, when I was a kid watching TV when it first started, back, you know, like 1949, <laughs> uh, these were two prominent people who were against, you know, all the good things that were trying to be done. And here we are, what, uh, 68 years, and... Right. And where are we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm... Uh, We're still fighting like, the fight. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the grandsons of these people are now a part of the, this Republican uh, albatross around our neck. An albatross, yeah, yeah. And, and, and seem to be getting heavier and stronger and more in power, but that's not really why we're here. Right. No. <laughs> Enough no. of that. Enough. Um, what, are you, what, are you, what are you drinking there, sir? I have something that Becky brought me. It's, so it's yeah. good. Well, we're drinking Tito's and Tonic. Ah, okay. And yeah. I'm drinking a Torque Wrench um, IPA. It's really yeah. good. From Garnville, Garner. New York. Gar Garnerville. Garnerville, New York. Right. Yeah. Something they're serving here at Gephardt's. Yeah, um, and it's good, right? Uh, yeah, it's good. It's kind of a little fruity, if you like that fruity yeah, IPA. Yeah, it's, it's It's really good. So let's talk to Charles. Well, Charles, you were born in Florida, right? Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Florida, 1942. And your musical career began at eight years old when your grandmother, Layla, gave you a cornet. That's right. So who was Layla? What did she mean to you? Oh, she was everything. She still is. <coughs> I am my grandmother. Are you? <laughs> you become your grandmother. Yeah. And uh, did you look alike? Do you have a or no, your, or your no, personality? I, I was more, you know, resembling my mom's. Yeah. Uh -huh. But um, she uh, nurtured me and um, got me my first instrumental cornet when I was eight. 
because you you showed interest? Well, she always wanted to have some sort of musical stuff around the house. She had a little hand organ uh -huh. you know, on the uh -huh. mantelpiece. Charles is and using she, his fingers to play the organ. <laughs> and <laughs> she played a, a C melody saxophone in church. And of course, I uh, watched all that happen. And uh, Was this Baptist church? Holding it, what we call the holiness church, where okay. people fall out like you mm -hmm. see now with voodoo from the from the Haitian uh -huh. community. So, so, so with an African the influence. You know, the preacher would be preaching so hard that these people would actually faint, fall out. Wow. And what kind of music was played during the... Church music, stomping music, you know. And your grandmother's playing the sax. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I have a, a photo of her with me, with my trumpet almost as big as I was, <laughs> which is going to go on the cover of my autobiography. Nice. Yeah. When does that happen? Well, it's, You're working. I'm working on it. All right. Okay. Right All right. Yeah. And so that's how I began my... Did you uh, play in the church? Yes. I um, earned my first 50-cent piece playing Rocks of Ages Clear for Me. Wow. Let me hide myself and be. <laughs> Very good. Do you think any of that early... Um, By the way, yeah, go ahead. you know, 50-cent pieces are real, real 50-cent pieces, real mint, real silver. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They were heavy. Yes. Yeah. You get a piece of that now, you throw it up in the air, it'll float, you know? No, I, I remember that, and, and the silver dollars too, because when you spin them and they fell, they kind of, you could hear them ring. Yeah. Because yeah. the silver in it made yeah. it ring. Not, yeah. not, now it's dull. Yeah. It's nothing. Thud. Yeah. So was there, was there a point about the 50-cent piece? No, I just thought about it. <laughs> that, you know, they, I was given a 50-cent piece. What kind of music were you listening to at oh, that time? Oh, it was time? church music. Yes? You know, it had a special kind of, you know... Do you think, do you think that church... Precursor to, uh, to rhythm and blues. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, it, does it have any effect on bop? Like, or the kind of things that you play? You mean what I do now? What you did when you were younger, what you're doing now? Well, the is trumpet. There? The trumpet is a clarion mm -hmm. instrument. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, Gabriel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Gabriel's call. Yeah. And you certainly call with your trumpet. I mean, trumpet, you is, trumpet is the most unforgiving of all instruments. In what way? Well, if you make a mistake, a glaring one, everybody knows it. Even if they don't know what you, <laughs> what you're trying you to play. You can't hide it. Yeah. 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 It's unforgiving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So who, who was teaching you? Did you just pick it up and play? And yeah, I it? guess, you know, Providence, whatever, you know, had it in for me. You know? Yeah. I saw that trumpet. I told Grandma this. I saw this little thing in a dingy little shop there, you know. Oh, so you saw it in the shop. And yeah, you said, Grandma, yeah, she got I like, it I like yeah, that. And I, and I told her, and the next thing I knew, she saved her little pennies. And oh, and got wow. It wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you wow. didn't have formal lessons, though. You taught no. yourself. Well, yeah. I went to um, uh, the only man in town, you know, at the time in Jacksonville. Uh, and I asked him, you know, what do these valves do? Mm -hmm. And he told me, and that was it. The rest is history. Wow. And, then you, and then you figured it out. Yeah, because I always like to figure stuff out for myself, you know. So. But mm -hmm. for some reason, when you went to Howard University... You studied pharmacy, and that's in all of the things well, about Well, I was you. about, oh, I guess 14, a couple of years uh, before graduating. I graduated early, you know, 16 I was. From high school? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I was sort of a bookworm, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, are, are you still? Do you still do a lot of reading? Oh yeah, yeah. I love to read. Yeah. And uh, while I was in those last two years in, in high school, um, just up the street from uh, from our house in Harlem was an apothecary. Oh yeah, love that word. Which it Apotec- really was. It was the. The, the pharmacists up until that point, most of the medicine that you got that was to save your life, they mixed it. And I watched that behind the counter. They're mixing this stuff. And, oh, it just grabbed a hold of me, you know. I wanted to know how they did that. Magic. And I would query, you know, my, the pharmacist who had hired me to deliver the medicine. And... Uh, uh, you're, you're, I, I told him I want This is what I want to do. I want to learn this. He didn't even know I played the trumpet. I never told him. And uh, when I got, you know, graduated high school, you know, I, I got accepted, uh, you know, as a pharmacy major at Howard University, which was just about along with a place called Mahari, <coughs> where the premier schools for uh, black kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, for pharmacy and medicine and dentistry too and uh, so um, off I went you know how long did you study? I was in my junior year but every day I was dealing with the trumpet yeah were you playing then? And, and no just just messing with the things I heard on the record so but and, you and my you know formulating how I could possibly do those things. And then one day in Rock, the famous Rock Creek Park, uh, uh, I had this epiphany, both from Providence and from what I was practicing, you know. And I said, I have to get this now. I know it's important to go finish pharmacy school, but uh, I have to get this now. And it was the best uh, decision I, I made. I think so. Come back home and um, put myself out here and see if I could, I could get, a, get in. And you did. I did. And you did. Can you imagine if you had continued and completed and became a pharmacist? And well, that's interesting you say that because a, a, a lot of the venues that I play, uh, some of my former uh, pharmacy uh, classmates, they come and they, boom, they're right in front. Oh, wow. And then afterwards, uh, we talk, and they said, man, we wish we had had a career uh, doing that. I said, no, you know, we said, I said, you know, you're doing fine because um, it's a great profession. And, uh, it's an important profession. Yeah. 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 Right. So then you went to New York City. Yeah, I came back home, and um, I got lucky on a jam session night of a gentleman who was still alive uh, he was that there that night you were there oh. he still comes out to see me and um, who's that and his name is Jim Harrison well known uh, local guy who his job was to take posters and put them around so in the 50s and 60s all those posters that you used to see around Manhattan or Brooklyn or right. wherever he would do that for you know the, the guy's gigs, and so um, one night he he uh, said to me, 
uh, Jackie McLean is uh, looking for a trumpet player. I guess I was about 20, 21, something like that. And he said, go see him, tell him I sent you. And uh, I did, and the rest is history. And he was at Smoke that night that we were there yeah. listening to you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, he's in his 90s now, but, you know, he's still following on. And still following you. Yeah. So is that's it? how you met Jackie McLean. Yeah. Who, who then became pivotal in your career. Well, he was everything. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Jack, Jackie McLean. Um, yeah. He was an alto saxophonist. Um, he seemed like a wild guy from what I've read. Well, yeah. he was special. Yeah. Uh, any wildness was attributed to the lifestyle at the time. Yeah. But, I read uh, he almost got in a, in a knife fight with Mingus. Oh, I don't know. About it. You know, I, I, it's I, one of the lores that yeah, go around. Yeah, I, I stay away from saying lores. what I, saying what I know. You know <laughs> oh, you know, lines. but you don't say it. Well, yeah. I mean, I never saw Jackie in that sort of situation. He was always calm and uh, mm -hmm. intuitive. You know. Right, right. Why don't we listen a little bit of you and uh, Jack McLean uh, playing together? Uh, this is a cut from Jackknife. That's some amazing stuff there. I mean, we, uh, we, you certainly can uh, hear the whole thing. It's called Jackknife with Charles Tolliver and Jackie McLean. So you were talking a little bit while we were listening to this about when you were recording this and uh, how you were feeling when you were working with Mr. McLean. On well, your first, your first yeah, the, recording. Yeah, the, the first recording was um, the Blue Note. Uh, it's, it's entitled It's Time. That recording you just uh, queued up was done... Um, one year later, mm -hmm. and uh, so my debut recording uh, was with uh, Jackie McLean uh, on It's Time, and uh, <coughs> I think Herbie Hancock was on that as well. well, well you said your know. knees were shaking yeah. in the recording studio. Well, yeah, I mean, at 21, you know. Yeah, yeah. pretty heady yeah. stuff. Yeah. What was it like in the 60s to uh, play in New York City? I mean, everybody was here, Yeah, what was right? the scene like? The scene was 
unbelievable. It was 24-7 because then was the uh, artisan resident lofts was everywhere. And it was really a, a loft type scene, you know. Guys would um, get off from work. Then you started work at uh, 9 o'clock. You did three sets, finished at 2 or 3 in the morning. And then you would go to one of these lofts and play some more. So it was uh, just an unbelievable time. And everybody was in New York then. You know. where, where were you living? Where, where in the city? Well, at first I was back home, you know, um, in Brooklyn at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, family had moved from Harlem to Brooklyn. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then, so you were staying with family? For a minute, yeah. yeah and, and then, then I started to live in a loft on the Lower East Side, on right. Allen Street. Ah. <laughs> you know, Chinatown, basically. Yeah. You know, right on the cusp of it. And, um, wow, we would um, wake up in the morning, and the musician who allowed me to stay with him, his name was Roger Blank. He's still alive, too. And uh, the wonderful pianist, John Hicks, all the three of us were cuddled in there in the cold. And he had a, one of those small wood-burning stoves. Get out of it. And we would have a hot tea in the morning, and we would go over there to Essex Street. It's still there, the Bialy, the famous Bialy place. Wow. Um, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, I've heard of it. I, I, I've yeah. been there in years. Yeah, and we can get our Bialys, come back, warm them up on the stove. On, and, on the wood-burning yeah, stove. and then, you know, the rest of the time, you know, we would uh, work on our instrument, you know. And occasionally we'd look out the dingy window and uh, see um, James Earl Jones going off to play Othello somewhere because he, he was living just across the street on that one. Did you ever talk to him? No, no. Uh, wow. Yeah. This is a young James Earl Jones. Uh -huh. And you, you knew who he was, yeah. obviously. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And of course, the place that, that was the place at the time, even though the Vanguard was, of course, the Vanguard and uh, other five spots and half note, but there was this place called Slugs, which was the end place. Say the name again? Slugs. S -L -U -G. Slugs. Of course, Slugs. Okay. Yeah, Slugs Saloon was its full name. And uh, the two guys who owned it uh, decided they wanted to have jazz in there. and. Uh, uh, Jackie McLean basically opened the place up with, for jazz with me and uh, uh, you know a group. That Where was it located? Third Street between Avenues uh, B and, and mm. C. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still there. It's a bodega now. Yeah, yeah. I think the Noricans, you know, uh, had it for a long time after that. You know? Okay. Uh, so that was the scene. That was the scene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more we can learn about the scene because being on the Lower East Side and that period and the kind of people there, it's not the same anymore. Well, but there's a, still a lot of activity going yeah. on on the Lower East Side, you know. So what yeah. about in 1970, you and fellow musician Stanley Cowell mm. created Strata East Records. Mm. Who was Stanley Cowell to your career? Stanley Cowell was a wonderful pianist who... Um, we met uh, at the first rehearsal uh, 
with Max Roach, who decided he would form a new band in uh, 1967. And he called on me, he called on Stanley. How did he know you? How did how had he known you? Well, I guess from what I was, because you were playing I, whatever I had been doing up to that point. Right. Were you making any kind of money at at the time? <laughs> Sorry about the gross question. It just occurred to me. No. No. You were Bohemians. I mean, you know, cooking up tea and keeping your boy Bailey. I mean, warm I barely had, you know. Well, I had managed to have a gig suit, you know. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And, uh, what, what, what did that look like? When Max Roach uh, called me to join his new band, I, you know, you could still, in during those days, look in the newspaper and find a drive-away car. You'd go and you'd give them $50. Yeah. No, in fact, you didn't have to give them anything. Or did you? I forget. I, I remember something but like that. You, when you delivered the car, you, you got car. your money back. Yeah. You know, the person who you were delivering the car to would give you, you know, yeah, we money. Yeah, we did and that. We did that, yeah. And so, I, you know... I, I once ran into a bus with one of those. Well, listen, you know, so I, 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 I got this uh, 1967 Thunderbird. Oh, man, did that thing grow. Nice. <laughs> the person who wanted it, you know, I mean, he got it delivered by me. I drove back and uh, joined Max Roach. That was how I was able to get back. Otherwise, I would not have been able to get back. I had no money. He would have had to pay for me to get back. Well, thank, thank goodness for the drive-away car business. Right, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean... You know, what? I mean, yeah, go on. I mean, you know, this music um, uh, can give you a decent living. Depend It depends on a lot of variables, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, um, you're known... Um, for your big band venue uh, and your and the big sound, um, so I'm, I'm I'm skipping way ahead here. Well, I wish I wasn't. Yeah, well, let's get to that, okay? But uh, let's talk big band hmm. because that's a big part of your career. Hmm. Um, 2007, you issued uh, Blue Note Records, your big band record entitled "With Love," right? And uh, immediately was uh, it won a Grammy nomination? Right. Right. Okay. So it was good. Yeah. Uh, so I, what I'd like to do is play a little bit of that big band sound. Okay. And um, this one is called is um, my round, favorite. Round midnight. Okay.
Okay, so that's a little taste of Round Midnight. Um, can we talk about Round Midnight or any sure. of the big band stuff that, yeah. that, that I, you I did? I was just saying that it was my favorite. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, these days I, I, I can't finish out a gig without playing it. Right. With yeah. a small group, of course. Yeah. With, with, a, with a small group, but mm -hmm. you're not going to get that big sound. When, when we first were going to your concerts, right. and you were inviting us into your right. concerts, it was big band stuff. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, um, because it was going on, and so you know, we went with that for a while. Right, and, and there was a way of making a living there? Well, it wasn't about making a living. It was about continuing um, um, the joy of uh, seeing that um, you, know, you could actually put a, that kind of an orchestra, you know. And they were orchestras. On the road, I mean, you, you know. had, you had like what eight, nine pieces. No, it, you know, it was a full sixteen, seventeen. Oh wow! Men. Okay, all right. But yeah. I remember they were being kind of small venues, and you kind of stuffed these guys in there. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, these um, the, the only clubs in Manhattan that really you get a a nice space for having a big band is uh, Birdland because they have a you know nice. But I mean. All the other clubs are the stage are small, so they have to, they look very cramped. You know? Right, right, right. But it yeah. worked. It worked. Yeah. yeah. It's more as intimate. I mean, you know. That's what jazz is. Yeah. Now, while, while we were listening to uh, to Round Midnight, I was asking some neophyte questions about Bop. Right. Um, and the, the the name Bop is put next to your name all the time. Right. And I don't know what it is. <laughs> White man doesn't know. Oh, so. stop. <laughs> no, okay, tell, uh, what no. is Bop? So Bebop, it's yeah. actually Bebop. Uh, and it's different it's coming forms. Of it. What it is, is coming off of uh, spoken word, uh, what the young generation today call rap. Okay. You know? So uh, rap because, comes out of Bop. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, you know, Bebop. In other words, it's scatting of um, the music. Bebop, 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 bebop. And uh, so the critics named the, the music that Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie innovated. Really, it was modern jazz, for lack of any other you know, explanation. You know, um, and it wasn't avant-garde. That's not avant-garde no. jazz. No. Avant-garde was ascribed to uh, a European uh, influence of uh, atonal music in which um, uh, the next generation uh, of musicians uh, ushered in by uh, Ornett Coleman's um, entry into this. Um, he was mild compared to what was to really when it got in full swing mm. you know, with the avant-garde take on this and of course John Coltrane um, uh, took that and uh, did to its ultimate um, level so it was completely separate he was the master of bebop mm. Coltrane yeah, yeah. absolute master so I want, I, if I want to know what is bebop listening to Coltrane absolutely oh Charlie Parker no First, Charlie Parker. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there, I have a wonderful photograph uh, from Jimmy Heath of, of, of a young John Coltrane sitting in a big band, uh, looking at, you know, up at Charlie Parker uh, in awe, 
you know, as he was in front of the band, you know, back in 1940-something, yeah. you know. Wow. So um, that's the difference, you yeah. know, in those, uh, those idiomatic uh, things. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that insight. It's, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll inform my listening. And, I mean, you know, they ascribe, you know, uh, hard bop. All these labels were critic labels they put on things. Uh, That's the other one, right? Hard bop was yeah. The other hard one. bop is like you know just really playing really hard. Oh, bebop, uh -huh. a much hard supposedly. But it's well, it's you couldn't be more hard than what you know if you're going to call it hard than the original guys: uh, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Max Roach, who was a you know, a charter member of, of this right. modern jazz. So basically, it's just thing. reviewers trying to kind of come up with descriptions that. Well, it's okay. Yeah, that's it's all, right. all It's that's all. Right. It's all good. Right. I mean, but you know, the bop part of this. Uh, here we are now. You know, uh, sixty uh, years later, and uh, the genesis of it was scatting, yeah. spoken word bebop, which is now, you know, the hood took that to another level. Does that go back to that there was a period of time because the black codes where um, people weren't allowed to play music, African Americans weren't allowed to play music, I don't know. and they would hit themselves by making noise? I like, don't know about that. Yeah. I mean, there were different ways, you know. I'm sure I they mean, made the Delta Blues and voice. Bessie Smith and all, you know, all of these greats uh, were, you know, were the original icons yeah. of what now you know is considered blues or uh, bluegrass or uh, uh, Appalachia you know uh, all of these things were you know happening at the same time you know because of poverty mm. right. and uh, you know they become iconic uh, forms of music in different parts of the country and so now we have you know uh, Hip hop, right? Yeah, but yeah. hip hop uh, and uh, rap uh, is nothing more than what was bebop. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's all connected. So yeah. Charles, Thelonious Monk, 2009 Town Hall, 50th anniversary celebrating Monk's historic 1959 Town Hall concert. Transcription of lost scores of arranger Hal Overton's orchestrations of Thelonious Monks. You performed. Yeah, that was a big deal. That yeah, was, it was a big, big deal. deal. We were there. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing that it was nine years ago. And I remember it. Yeah. So yeah. impressed. Yeah, that was a big Did deal. you know Thelonious Monk? <laughs> no one knew him really no. well, except <laughs> the men he, that came up with him. You know, he was truly, um, uh, you know, different. Yeah, uh, genius. All of the harmonic uh, underpinnings, uh, um, sitting up underneath uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, that's Thelonious Monk's piano voicings, and um, just so happened that uh, you know, I was asked to. Uh, transcribe that music because the, the original scores had been lost and uh, what a moment you know? and you yeah. transcribed them by listening to the recordings right. and then was able to hear all the different 
musical tones from the different instruments and, and put it together. That must have been difficult. It was, wasn't easy because yeah. it wasn't all that well recorded at that time. You yeah. know, they didn't use it. They didn't have all the high tech uh, miking systems at the time. You know. Was your performance recorded that night? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's still you can still get yeah. it online. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I didn't bring any Thelonious Monk into this little discussion. If I were to play one and insert it in, what what piece should I insert in from that concert? Oh wow. Uh, oh wow. I guess a little Rudy Tootie because. Okay. You know, that All right, was sort of like the finale. Right, right there, you're going to hear an edit of that <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. many you have done so many different kinds of jazz which do you prefer I said we'd get back to this which kind of jazz do you prefer we we saw you at smoke just recently right. and you had a quartet right. and um, there was some amazing different things happening right. a woman who was I don't know if she was doing she wasn't really doing sketch she was doing something else yeah she's a new star I was yeah but, I mean Camille Thurman yeah yeah she not only say the can name do again Camille Camille Thurman, she can not only sing and rap and spoken word oh. and bop the words, but she's one of the best young tennis saxophones. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we didn't hear did, that. Yeah, I didn't spring her with the saxophone on that game because I wanted her to sing. And she was gracious enough to just sing for me. Now, yeah. is that scat? What huh? she was doing? Is yeah. that scat? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Vocalese, we call it. Okay. She seemed to be another instrument. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Everything that she can, uh, spoken word like that, she can uh, put on a saxophone. So she's, she's, um, she's sensational. We loved it when you two Mm -hmm. got close on the mic. 
and you were both scatting. Oh, yeah, yeah. That right. must have been fun. Yeah. And you, and you told us afterwards, you just came up with that. Yes, right. You said, come on, let's, yeah. let's do this. Yeah, it's, like, it's like the quarterback when he comes up to the line, they call a play. Yeah. And he sees that uh, the <laughs> linebacker has got that whole plug. And so he calls an audible. You know? So we do that a lot on bandstand, but you would never know it. Yeah. Yeah. Musical order, uh, audibles. Right. Yeah. A lot of times you do it with your hand. You give a signal. No? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or note on the instrument. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Or nod with the head. Is it? Or, and, or tap with the foot. And we in the audience may not see You would never know it. it. Wow. And yeah. then you're off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are a teacher? At, well, at, I, at I, the new know, school, right? I'm a mentor. I like this. Yeah, what is it you do? Do you, do you teach well, jazz? Well, the great, the great um, bassist, uh, Reggie Workman, uh, who was part of the founding team for the new school jazz, uh, 25 years ago asked me one day, um, would I um, consider uh, teaching uh, an art Blake in the Jazz Messengers? Because, of course, he was one of the great bassists in, uh, in what I consider just about the greatest period of our Blakey, you know, in the six years that uh, he was there. And um, he wanted to have this class because there wasn't such a thing nowhere on the planet. And uh, uh, I accepted, and uh, I've been doing that for... <laughs> now I own 25 years, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. health insurance, I'm sure. So you oh well, I mean, you know, <laughs> university stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you mentor the the young musicians? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, candidates. Uh-huh. Do they matriculate their four years, and they have to come through me, and some have uh, gone on to become quite. Uh, um, known now in this music business, like uh, the two twins, um, Marcus and E.J. Strickland, uh, Robert Glasper, who is now really big, uh, Jasmia Horn and Brianna Thomas, uh, David Guy, who is the trumpeter on the Saturday Night Live. Wow, you must I mean, be very there's proud. a number of. Uh, of uh, Yes, great talent that yeah. came through uh, us there. You yeah. must feel very proud. I am. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So y- let's talk about Paper Man and Charles. Yeah. 1968 debut album featuring Gary Bartz, Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, and Joe Chambers. Right. Exploratory. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just decided, you know, I wanted to produce something myself. Pretty early on in your career. Yeah. and uh, Pretty audacious, young and, man. And I called, uh, well, I had already known Herbie from uh, my debut with uh, Jackie McLean. And uh, I got to know Ron from my early period with Andrew, the great Andrew Hill. And Joe Chambers and I knew each other since we were 18. We lived together when I, when I was in Washington, D.C., going to Howard University. And Gary Boss was always my most favorite uh, playing partner, you know, for a saxophone. So you got your favorite. Yeah, so I just 
assembled them, you know, and uh, we went in and uh, recorded that record. Yeah. Um, um, when we've been playing Earl's World. Right. Who uh, is he? Yeah, who's Earl? Who's Earl? Earl is my beloved brother. Oh. Is he still with he us? He was my everything. He was my, yeah. my best buddy. My the older brother? brother? No, he was five years younger than me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He was my best fan. He was... Brothers are important. Very sweet. Yeah. 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 Is, is there some of Earl in the music? You mean on, on that song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I like to play a different cut from Paper Man. Mm. Um, this is one that is, uh, I think, a little different, different mood than, than Earl's. It's called um, Peace With Myself. Mm. That is so luscious and beautiful and smooth, and you can eat it with a spoon. It's, it's fantastic. So um, you, you wrote that yourself? You wrote all this music? And you were quite young? It, yeah, I mean, most Tell of that I You told had, us you were 18. Yeah, most of that I had written by, by the time I was 21. That tune I wrote when I was 18. Yeah. When you were at Howard? Mm -hmm. It seems so advanced for an 18-year-old. I mean, does it to you? Does it sound like a young man's tune? Young man's... Well, that's grandmama at work. Huh? Yeah? <laughs> that's grandmama on that work. She was sweet. And, uh, so sweet. Mm -hmm. I mean, so... I, I could listen to that all day. Ba -da, ba -da -da. Yeah, it's very common thing. It, peace yeah. with myself. Peace, peace it, with it, myself. Yeah, it evokes that. You, yes. when, when we were listening to this, you mentioned that there is some influence of the Vietnam War in this. You were in not the, not not in that tune, but I just was remembering that I wrote that uh, in the Fine Arts Building you know, uh, uh, one day, right in, in one of the piano rooms. And uh, uh, during my three years there, I was a part of the uh, ROTC marching band. You know. And normally, what happens is that you. You can get a commission out of that, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know when you graduate, you mm -hmm. want to go in uh, to the Army. Um, Make a good... Well, and the Vietnam War was raging right then, and we didn't know it. Sure it was. We didn't know it. 
1968, you know? No, this was 60, 1960, 96, oh, 60, there you go. 60 okay. 61, 62. That's right. That early we didn't know. Mm -hmm. Later on we did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so the, 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 the album that's being, um, being honored at the Charlie Parker Festival on August 24th is called Paper Man. You had a different name for it when it was released in Well, Europe. originally, the original uh, release was Charles Tyler All-Stars. Right. Featuring those giants. Right. And, and, and therefore, we, we, we get the All-Stars. But the Paper Man... Uh, well, Paper Man was album. one of the songs on there, yeah. and it was my first song in which I wrote lyrics to. Oh. Are the lyrics on there? No. No. But I wrote lyrics to it, to that song. Right. So what, do you remember them? No. No. <laughs> I have to go and pull them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want to make sure that everybody knows. Uh, we're talking to Charles Tolliver. This is uh, Bar Crawl Radio. We're at Gephard's Bar on West 72nd Street. We're here about once a month doing these podcasts. We're so honored to have Charles Tolliver, jazz trumpetist uh, extraordinaire, with us. He will be honored at the Charlie Parker Jazz Festival on August 24th between 7 and 9 p.m. at the Marcus Garvey Park. I, I understand Gary Bartz, who was, who was on that album. He was on there as an album. He's going to be there with you. He'll be there. Uh, of course, Herbie and Ron are somewhere around the world uh, that, mm -hmm. that day, so they, they would be there otherwise. Right, right. And, and you'll uh, be playing So pieces. Jack DeJanette will be on drums and uh, Buster Williams on bass. And they are holding for, uh, as a surprise, who's going to replace Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and you know, but you're not saying. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. That's August 24th at the um, uh, Marcus Garvey Park Summer Stage, part of the uh, Charlie Parker uh, Festival. Uh, so, Charles, I just want to say thank you so much. You have brought real class to our podcast. Oh, thank um, you. This is a uh, red letter day for us. And we're really looking forward to coming to that uh, celebration of Paper Man Thank at the you. Charlie Parker Jazz Festival on August 24th. All right. Let's not forget. This is Bar Crawl Radio. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in every night at Upper West Side Radio Broadcast, rebroadcast at 9 p.m. And we're going on vacation to Cabo, Baja Peninsula. Hope we don't get robbed or anything while we're there. Yeah, but before we go, we're going to yeah. go on a bargy, bargy, not bargy. We, yeah, we should have called it a bargy. A bargy. BCR Margi Crawl, a margarita right. crawl. And Charles, you're invited. Yeah, right. everybody, oh, yeah. everybody. Yeah. July 24th. We start at Gabriella's. We're starting at Gabriella's on 93rd Street, and, and we're we'll be talking to Council Member uh, Raphael Espinal. And then on to two other Upper West Side bars with more guests. Right. Uh, Nathan Lentz, the and science so, guy. Um, we're not going to be, I don't think, doing recording in August. Because we will be on vacation in Cabo. Yeah. I don't think we're, we're not going to yeah. do anything in Cabo. But we'll be back with a program on immigration and the American experience in September. Correct. Not sure of the date yet. Uh, we've been talking with a variety of people from all over the world as we try to figure out whether our nation is a nation of immigrants or ignorance. You got that? Immigrants or ignorance? Got it. <laughs> We are a nation of, of immigrants. We shouldn't yeah. be so ignorant about it. Very good, Al. Sweetie, Very this good. has been fun. Charles, thank you so much. Been My pleasure. So, so much fun. Listening to Charles Tolliver's music and him talking about it. Well, it couldn't get better than that. Nope. Bar Crawl Radio. Thanks, everybody.